The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. sermon is measurably better, then we're going to start having the uh, sermon text sung uh, and not just read. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone who, who worked on that. That is fantastic. Um, Luke, then, is where Sarah has led us. Children go to children's church because uh, if I forgot, I wouldn't get fed lunch. Uh, so get going there. Good. Luke 1 is where Sarah led us. 
uh, to Mary's song, God News, uh, that was delivered by uh, the angel, and Mary, of course, rejoiced over. I want to remind you that in this uh, Advent series um, that I have attempted to assert uh, two truths. Uh, the first is that hope and promise are to be at the center of our Advent understanding. So when you think about Advent uh, uh, as a season of the church, you shouldn't be thinking about Christmas as much as you should be thinking about the hope and promise that God's people lived with uh, looking forward to the coming of Messiah, as well as the hope and promise that the church possesses as it looks forward to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that, that is the first truth that I have sought to assert in this season. Uh, the second is that God chooses to do his powerful work through the inability of humans. Now, this is not just true in the sense of, of our thinking on Advent. This is true that uh, throughout uh, history, uh, God has always chosen to do his work through the inability of humans. You never see humans rising to some level of greatness or expertise without them falling. And then seeing very often after their fall that God then reworks things and uses them uh, even more mightily. Or that they have no ability at all. And then God steps into their inability and uses them to do mighty things. So uh, promise and hope at the center of our Advent understanding and in that understanding, then, God is going to work through the inability of people. And the implication, then, is that uh, just as faithful Israelites, like Elizabeth, Zechariah, and Mary, and Joseph, who are uh, in Luke's story here, just as they were faithful, they banked on the promises that God had made for the Messiah to come, and this then uh, created a strong hope in their lives. And that hope then was what they ordered their lives around. They were shaped and formed by this hope uh, that Messiah would indeed come. And the implication then for the church is that we need to be shaping and forming our lives around this same hope. We have a promise of the Lord's return. And the church needs to be shaped and formed around that promise and I have a strong hope more on that later in this sermon the second truth uh, about inability then I want to remind you that just as God has done in the past he will continue to fulfill his promises through human inability through human inability and so uh, every time the church rises up and tries to grab power and tries to get center stage and human power the church is always going to find itself in the wrong place. It has to stay within the power that God has established in the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. To do otherwise is to be outside then of the way that God will continue to do uh, his work, which means that increasingly in American culture, especially uh, the church is going to have to bear the reproach of Jesus. And I pray that we're ready to do that. I'm not sure... 
uh, we are in a way that um, is really going to require things from us. Uh, so those are the, the two truths I've sought to assert and the implications. Uh, so I'm going to make a third assertion this morning. And the third assertion is simply this, that as prophesied in Scripture, a violent collision took place. A violent collision took place. And the uh, implication then is we must be ready. We must be ready. As prophesied in Scripture, a violent collision took place. Implication for us, we must be ready. Now these truths are, are deeply important for any church or person or family that takes seriously the warning of Jesus and the apostles gave concerning the second advent of Jesus. That is the coming of the king. Again, the observance of Advent is not something we do to get ready for Christmas. Instead, it is a time to take inventory of one's life as we ask a singular question. Are we ready for the return of Jesus and the judgment that is to follow? Will we stay faithful even though our prayers do not seem to be answered, like Zechariah and Elizabeth? Will we be obedient when... God rearranges the assumptions that we had made concerning our lives, what we were going to do or how we were going to live, as he did with Mary and Joseph. And it's been said, and I, and I, I, I would love to actually see this uh, next year in our own kind of decor of the church, but it has been said that every nativity scene should have John the Baptist, a big, huge John the Baptist, just kind of standing off on the side, pointing to the baby Jesus, like, Look at him, like look at Jesus, pay attention to Jesus, and that every Advent calendar would have John the Baptist as the main character, so when you open the windows, you don't pull out a piece of chocolate, it's John pointing his finger at you saying, repent, be ready for the return of the Lord. I mean, we get one of those like animatronic John the Baptist that when you go by, he says, are you ready for the Lord's return? Judgment is coming, you brood of vipers, something like that, really spice up the... Uh, the nativity scene, wouldn't it? Um, and perhaps that is the question for the church. Not so much do you believe that the Lord is returning, but do you believe that the Lord is returning with judgment? With judgment. To come to judge the quick and the dead. That we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done in our bodies, whether it be good or evil. The philosopher asked uh, the question, what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? Well, that is an interesting question to debate, but the church doesn't ask such a question. Because we know the unstoppable force and the immovable object are the same. And so when I say that a violent collision has taken place, I'm saying that God crashed the party of this present evil age and moved it. He moved it. He didn't use an army of angels or an army of robots or any such thing. He did it by becoming a human being. That's what the angel said to Mary. That's the God news Sarah sang about. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And because life begins at conception, we can say that the collision happened at conception. So at some point between Mary's response in verse number 38 of Luke 1 
and then Mary entering the house of Zechariah to, and being greeted by Elizabeth, that the collision happened. That God took human form and crashed the party and evil was moved off the mark. You say, well, well how do we know this? Well, from verse number 39 to verse number 45, you have one of, one of these occasions when uh, I think we, we would like to have been there. Like one of those times, like, I would love to have been in the room. Like, you know, just off to the side looking at this. It must have been an amazing thing that unfolds. Because um, when uh, Mary comes into the room, the Spirit fills Elizabeth, who is filled, you know, her womb is filled with John, and John is filled with the Spirit. And this is the first announcement, as it were, that a violent collision has taken place, that God has entered into the world in human form. And we have to look carefully then at the words that Elizabeth speaks, which are given to her by the Holy Spirit, but which flow out of her understanding of the scriptures that had already shaped and formed her life. The word blessing shows up three times. In verse 42, she exclaims with a loud voice, blessed are you among women. And again, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And again in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed. The, the setting is uh, put forward by Luke as one where blessing exists. This is a blessed event. And then, of course, um, as the announcement is given in the language of blessing, it is directed then, rightly so, immediately to the fruit of Mary's womb. And it's really important. Elizabeth didn't say, oh, Mary, what a wonderful girl you are. You obeyed God. No, she said, the fruit of your womb is why the blessing has arrived. And, and Elizabeth then identifies the fruit of Mary's womb as the Lord. How else would she have known that except she is filled with the Holy Spirit as she speaks? And then what do you, what do you have, uh, which I think is just wonderful because I've never had to carry a human being inside my body, but uh, for many of you who have, you, you might say, well, it's not always that great. But here John, thinking he's on, like, you know, the Jewish Olympic gymnastic team, is just doing cartwheels and somersaults. Why? Because he, being filled with the Holy Spirit, just can't wait to get to his job. And that is to point his finger to Jesus and say, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Do you still get excited about getting up in the morning going to work? <laughs> Maybe not, but John just couldn't wait to get ready, and he can't say anything. So he's just pounding on the wall saying, there he is, there he is, you know. It's, it's just, I, oh, I'm like, man, I would love to have seen this. But then what does Elizabeth say to Mary and about Mary? Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what? what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so this, this room filled with blessing, this, this womb filled with focus on Jesus, still, you know, in Mary, and yet the Spirit of God directing it then gets pointed back to faith. Blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. 
Blessed are those who are waiting, anxiously, eagerly waiting for the promise to become fulfilled, their hope to be seen. I, I think it is a wonderful setting and one that the church ought to think a lot about. And, and as we do, let, let's reinforce the truth that when God takes action to overthrow the present evil age, he does so through the inability of humans. There's no power here. There's no prominence here. There, there's no strategy. You know, there's no purpose statement. There, there's two women, both, you know, pregnant, right? And, and yet, when God takes action to overthrow the present evil age, he does through the inability of humans. Elizabeth, no power of prominence other than to announce a blessing on Mary. John's still, you know, in the oven, as it were, right? Can't do anything except somersaults. Mary, young woman, no influence. In fact, uh, her betrothed Joseph was going to protect her by putting her away in hiding. But keep in mind that Elizabeth and Mary are nurturing in their bodies two men. One, who will be born to Elizabeth, will announce the end of one age and the beginning of a new age. And the other, the child of Mary, is the one through whom that age will come and that age will continue for all eternity, the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. And, and what part do Elizabeth and Mary play as God takes action? They show us how praise becomes the starting place for hope. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, speaks the blessing to God. Mary, who has already surrendered to the Lord, now rejoices that as the, spoken by the prophets, <laughs> this violent collision has indeed taken place. I, I don't know about you if you've, hopefully you've never been in a, in a very serious car accident, but for any of us who have been in car accidents that have been serious, we know it's not a good thing when a violent collision takes place. We have seen it on the roadside or heard about it. The violent collision that took place throughout that area of Kentucky, Arkansas, southern Illinois, has just wrecked and destroyed things. But this violent collision is actually a good thing, for God moves evil off the mark as God steps in. And this leads Mary then uh, to testify about this God news, what God is doing. And, and I want to arrange this, and I hope your Bibles are open to uh, Luke 1, and you'll pick it up with me there in verse number 46. Now, I'm going to arrange this to emphasize the thing that I feel is important to emphasize for this sermon. All right? It's a very familiar text. And again, let's not let familiarity breed contempt. Let's try to read it with fresh eyes, and may the Spirit help us to do so. Just listen to me as I read it. My soul, my spirit, my Savior. For he, for he, he has, he has, he has, he has, he has, he has. When I sat down and I read it, I was thinking like, how is this text arranged? Like, what is happening? What's the flow of going on in this testimony? Well, you have Mary um, 
entering into a very personal experience that then causes her to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But then that, that begins then to look out and say, well, he has looked on the humble estate. For he who is mighty has done great things. And then she just doubles down on it. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has set the rich away empty-handed. And he has helped his servants. This should be the way the church testifies to the grace of God that we find in our midst. And for our hope for the region in which we live. That when we come together directed by God's word, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking out the uh, way that the word of God has shaped and formed us as we are led by the Spirit, that we, we rejoice together in what God has done, our, our souls, our spirits, magnifying the Lord, our Savior. But then it all goes out and says, this is, what, this is who he is and this is what he has done. And the more we learn to do this, or in some cases, the more we go back to doing this, either in our private devotion or our family or in our church, the more then we will see how the blessing of God flows through, how praise becomes a point of hope. And we get our eyes off our own things. And as uh, a Angelo read for us from Philippians, right? We, we look on the needs of others just as Christ did. The testimony of Mary is a model testimony for the church. It blends together personal experience with the promises of God's word. In this testimony, Mary shows the church what it means to live out of the rule and reign of God on earth. You see, she understood herself to be within it. She is living out of it and showing us how we too can praise God and be led into hope because God is the unstoppable force god is the immovable object that collided into evil defeated evil and is destroying evil and will deliver his people entirely out of evil and into the fellowship of light and love and love and light for all eternity and all of this is done through the child that mary is bringing into the world his name is jesus christ which is why the church must continue to live in who we are in Jesus Christ. But, you know, we do look out today at a world filled with evil, and it is uh, tempting to ask, well, well, where is God? Where's God in the midst of all of it? I, I've been thinking with Habakkuk, the prophet, in my uh, my, my reading during Advent, and uh, the prophet, of course, asked some very hard questions when he wrote his oracle. Some very hard questions. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth 
perverted. And you know, as Christians, is it not easy for us to sit and look at the condition of the things around us to say, God, why haven't you shown up? God, why haven't you done? God, why, why haven't you worked? Why didn't you prevent tornadoes from destroying people's lives, 70 people at this point dead, more certainly to come? Why is it that missionaries still are in captivity in Haiti and not released? Why were they taken into, uh, you know, by terrorists in the first place? Why, when I watched the Army-Navy game yesterday, which I thoroughly enjoyed, one of the things that came to my mind is that many of the young men and women, uh, either on the field or in the stands, are going to be in armed conflict at some point and probably will lose their lives at a young age. Why, God, aren't you doing something? And we have to remember that when Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph received God's news, it is in the midst of occupation. It is in the midst of the hopes and dreams of, of Israelites who wanted God to come and deliver. I suspect that if you wanted to put one word as a word descriptor of our justice system in the United States, the word would be perverted. In large measure, it is a perverted system. But this already not yet tension of biblical theology is where Elizabeth and Mary find themselves, and we find ourselves as well. We, of course, want God to make all things new, and we want it right now. We need a little Christmas now. We don't want to wait to December 25th. We need a little Christmas now, God. Why aren't you bringing it? Like Habakkuk, we would rather not have to keep looking at the violence, the iniquity, the destruction, the strife, and the contention. It is a tragic thing for the law to be paralyzed and perverted. The injustices of the world that Habakkuk saw, that Elizabeth and Mary saw, those injustices that continue today, you know, they would be easy, right, to rail against right now. It would be really easy, but I'm not really all that much of a fan of preachers who preach to the choir, you know, just kind of get amens because everybody agrees with them. Because Advent is a time to take an inventory, which takes time. You have to look harder. You have to move some things around. Oh, yeah, we do have, yeah, there's six of those, not... 10 of those, or there's 12 of those. Not You've got to look harder. You've got to be willing to do it. And in doing so, we have to remember that judgment then begins at the household of God. This past week, I was asked a very helpful question by a person in our congregation. It's not the first time the question's been asked, but I, it's a really good question. It's one that I've thought about and will continue to think about. The question is this. In the day in which we live, how are we as Christians to be different from the world? How are we to be different from the world in the day in which we live? As I thought about the question, and as a way of now answering it, I, I thought about something that I've been saying for a few years now. The situation in America is now more like the world of the apostles in the world that most of us grew up in, and if, any, if you're over 55 or 60 years old. The America you grew up in is no longer in existence. The America we now live in is more like the days in which the apostles ministered. 
And if we're going to ask ourselves, you know, uh, what would it look like for the church to be different than the world in which we live, at least in America and certainly in our region, which is incredibly dark spiritually, we have to ask ourselves, well, what, what are the conditions in which we live? What are the times in which we live? It's one of the reasons why over the past month and, or two months, I've been trying to elevate our understanding of apostolic preaching and apostolic pastoring. You see, through the, the teaching of the apostles, both in writing as well as in speaking, they oriented the church towards the return of Jesus as a way to live in the world and not an escape from the world. And this is a very important difference from the way that I was taught to think about the return of Jesus. I was taught to think about the return of Jesus as an escape from the world. But when you really look at the way Jesus taught it and you look at the way the apostles taught it and then you look at the way Jesus said it to the church, he is telling us how we are to live in the world and not as an escape from the world. The exhortations, admonitions, rebukes were intended to help the church stay awake for the Lord's return so that they would be ready for the day of his judgment. So that they would be ready for the day of his judgment, for judgment will surely come. One of the scriptures that I read this past week, the prophet Isaiah told Israel on behalf of God, stop regarding man. And, and he does this with a, temporary, uh, with a view to the temporary nature of man. In Isaiah 2.22, he writes, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for what account is he? You want to know how the church should be living differently than the world at present is to stop regarding men. Stop regarding the forces out there that are pressing in. They are temporary. A violent collision has taken place. Evil has been moved off the mark. The Lord of glory is returning in judgment, and in doing so, evil will be done away with. To be awake to the return of Jesus is a way of saying that we will no longer regard man as the power or force that shapes and frames our lives. This then is a powerful way for the church to live differently than the people in our region live. And I just want to make clear, it is entirely different for me to say, hey, the Lord is returning. And for me to say, the Lord is returning in judgment. If I say to a, a, a non-Christian, you know, I believe that Christ is returning. They'll look at me and go like, well, okay. But if I say to them, you know, I believe the Lord is returning. He's going to come to judge. Are you ready? That creates a little different tension in the conversation. What do you think is the orientation of Durkytown Baptist Church? St. James Bible Fellowship towards the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In large measure, I pray, it is not escapism. For if it is escapism, we will not be thinking at all about living differently than the world. We're getting out of here. Packing my bags, I'm gone. But it is with a view to the coming impending judgment 
then I want to make sure my lamp has got enough oil, right? My life is ready. I'm going to suggest three scripture verses. Ah, I'm just going to suggest them. I'm going to read them and say, think about them. Like, do something with them. Let's do something with them together. Lest we kind of live our lives regarding men. Uh, Luke 21, um, verse number 34. Listen to what Jesus has to say about this. Luke 21, verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, (laughs) the day of his return, come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place to stand before the, uh, before the Son of Man. You want to know how to live different than the world lives? You want to know how to be a testimony to the world in which you live? Stay awake to the return of our Lord in judgment. Look at Romans chapter number 13. Romans chapter number 13. Follow with me in verses number 11 and 12. Paul writes, besides this, you know the time. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." This is what Jesus said to his own people, the Jews. This is what Paul says to the church. Go to Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 12 and hear what Jesus says to his church. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When I was first asked the question about how Christians to be different from the world, my immediate answer was for the church to once again honor the Lord's Day. And I I stand by that. Because I believe to uh, to, uh, to be true that if we honor the Lord's Day... We, we send out a public signal about our orientation towards his coming. What has happened to the church concerning the honoring of the Lord's Day? Uh, this is A of the ABCs. And yet, and yet, so many just say, oh, you know, I'll get around to it. And I'm not just talking about coming to church. Although certainly that is a big part of it. It's about coming to honor the Lord's day. It's about coming in the same way that 
uh, Mary comes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth greets Mary. It, it is about recognizing who is front and center when we do gather together and why we can bless one another and why we can encourage one another is because Jesus is in the middle of it all. And if our lives have been shaped and formed by the scriptures throughout the week and if the Holy Spirit of God is engaging us in that word, then certainly when we gather together, we will bless we will say, yes, Lord, let us be ready for the judgment to come. And so exhort and help and encourage one another to be ready. Our hope in the promised return of Jesus mirrors then the hope that Elizabeth and Mary had concerning the coming Messiah. They are a testimony to the willingness of God to use inability to accomplish his work. Ordinary women living faithful, ordinary lives, but when they are called upon, they are ready. They don't have to say, sounds like a good idea, God, but hold on just a second, I got to get some stuff in order. They're ready. While under Roman occupation, while under the oppression of unfaithful jewish leaders these faithful women show the church how to be ready for the day of god's coming the day of god's judgment that we don't need to say to jesus can i get five minutes before you return we are ready a violent collision has taken place god moved evil off its mark god brought redemption into the world through jesus and the repercussions of this violent collision have not yet ended. Evil is pushing back hard against us. We must find our footing in this dark time, in this evil time. We must find our footing in the first things that we have been given to do as God's people, just as Elizabeth and Mary found. But you know, a day is coming when the repercussions of that collision will indeed end. It will end. There is an expiration date on tornadoes. There is an expiration date on death. There is an expiration date on sickness and sorrow and hardship. And when that day comes then, when the saints below are gathered together with the saints above, we then will be so blessed to live here on God's good earth in pure light and love and peace. But until that day comes, would you endeavor with me to use our voices to praise God for the God news that we have received and with loud voices to say to one another that praise indeed is a starting place of hope. Lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. There's no reason for sadness and gloom. The king has come, and the king is coming. Let us be ready. Father, we thank you for your word uh, to us this day, and we pray, O oh God, for your grace and your mercy right now for us to uh, inwardly digest it. And by inwardly digesting it, we might grow in the grace of it, I pray. Where repentance needs to happen, may we be ready to bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance.
And in doing so, oh God, would you be so merciful that as we seek to amend our lives, we might receive the grace and consolation of your Holy Spirit, that we might be ready for that day, a sure and certain day that is coming. Well, it's with quietness that you need to uh, prepare your own hearts for the Lord's table. And we'll spend a few moments to doing that. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.